<laughs> Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for this evening, and I thank you for uh, just this opportunity to bring forth your word. And God, I just ask that you would move uh, among these people, God, that we would hear your heart in everything that is said. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you haven't already turned there, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. Uh, just to kind of give you a little bit of a background, because from 1 Corinthians probably about chapter 8 on into chapter 11, there's this, there's this uh, kind of strange concept of eating meat and whether eating meat is, is good, a specific kind of meat, eating meat that has been sacrificed to idols, and whether this is good or whether this is bad. And uh, it's, you know, Paul kind of interweaves a bunch of stuff, but there's this whole big theme about eating meat. And so we don't really have a context about uh, what it is to eat meat uh, that's been sacrificed to idols and stuff. We, it, so it, I find myself kind of having a hard time wrapping my head around uh, what, you know, what's the big deal, right? What, what is the big deal about eating, eating meat? And, and I've given it a whole lot of thought. And, you know, we've heard other people talk about what the big deal is. Uh, but if I could put it into a different kind of a context for uh, what we might uh, think of today, and that context would be alcohol, okay? Now, I do not have a problem uh, with alcohol. Uh, I don't have a problem, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't drink to, uh, uh, I don't know, to get drunk or anything like that. That's not, it's not something that I do. It's not something I've ever done. It's not something that uh, I, I've never been tempted to do that. So for me, to have a glass of wine or to have a, a bottle of beer while I'm grilling something is no big deal. It's, it's nothing at all, okay? Uh, but I know people who do struggle with alcohol. I know people who go, I can't just have one. And so they, if, they, if they get around somebody like me who's like, hey, it's okay for me to have alcohol because I don't have a problem, but then enters in this person who does, how am I to respond? And that's kind of what we're talking about here, okay? I'm not going to respond by going, hey, look, I know you got a problem with alcohol. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and drink anyway, because I don't. And, you know, it stinks to be you right now, but I'm going to take care of me, okay? And that's, that's kind of the idea, all right? Uh, it's, it's kind of, it's not a perfect parallel, and I understand that. But the idea that Paul keeps trying to bring up is that we need to be okay with laying down our rights for the sake of others. Because I don't want to make anybody feel uh, uncomfortable if I'm drinking a glass of wine or if I'm, if I'm having a bottle of, uh, of beer. And I don't drink beer, honestly. I don't, I don't care for it that much. But, but you know, it's, it, the point is, I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable if they come to my house. So even if I were to have some sort of uh, alcohol, I'm not going to pull it out and drink it in front of somebody who has a problem. I'm definitely not going to offer them some because what I don't want is for that person to stumble. Hey, Drew was teaching on Sunday and, you know, what he drinks, you know, uh, he, he, he drinks, so surely I can do it, right? Sure. I, that's, yeah. yeah, you know what, you know what, he does, I can do it too, right? That's not the idea. I don't want to let anybody to struggle, especially if you're, uh, to feel uncomfortable, especially if you struggle with that, okay? So that's, that's kind of my little idea, uh, my parallel, and the, um, the reason that I bring this up first and foremost is because it is interwoven, and we will reach that point, and, and there's much more to this uh, than, than 
than I first thought. And obviously, Paul takes several chapters just to talk about uh, this particular thing. Um, but we're going to start in chapter, or in chapter 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into uh, Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, what Paul does here is he's talking to the Corinthians. The Corinthians kind of got an attitude problem. Some of them are a little bit prideful, okay? So Paul's talking to them about uh, what it is that uh, we, we celebrate as far as uh, sacraments, okay? Uh, sacraments meaning there's two ancient sacraments that Christians believe. There's uh, the sacrament of of baptism and the sacrament of communion. Now, to give you an idea, the word sacrament... Uh, was used for the oath of allegiance that the soldiers of the Roman legion took to their emperor, okay? So the early Christians considered uh, communion and baptism to be an oath of allegiance unto our Lord. So if somebody was to ask, hey, do you have to be baptized in order to be saved? My personal belief is no, you don't have to be baptized in order to be saved. But here's the deal. Being baptized is an outward expression of what's going on inside of you, okay? Uh, and, and in this context, being baptized is my, my oath of allegiance to the Lord, okay? So when I do this, I am showing not just the Lord, but I'm showing everybody around me that I am pledging my allegiance to the Lord. And when we come together to have communion, uh, we do it uh, usually about once a month. We can have it anytime we want to, but this is a reminder of our allegiance uh, to our oath to the Lord. Yes, we are remembering Jesus. We're remembering what Jesus did for us, and then we are taking it as a pledge of allegiance that we belong to him. And so this is what he is kind of talking about. Uh, the Israelites, when they were uh, leaving Egypt, they were all what they call uh, the baptism of Moses. They walked through the Red Sea, and, and as they walked to the other side, they look back, and God closes the waters on the Egyptians, essentially washing away their problems, right? The washing, now, Egypt is a picture in the Bible of the world. So one could say that uh, he, they were washing the, the worldly problems being washed away at that moment in time. That is the baptism of Moses. And then these guys get to have manna that God gives to them. Uh, they, they're all eating of the bread. They're all eating of the rock, which is Christ that follows them. They all get to see God's uh, provision power in this cloud and in the fire at night. They're all covered by his grace. They all get to see this stuff. But what's he say in verse 5? But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Most, that word most, is a gross understatement because all but two made it to the promised land. All but two made it to the promised land. This said, this, what this is saying is that, hey, all the Israelites who got to see with their own eyes God's power, who got to experience God's glory, all of them but two displeased the Lord so much that they couldn't make it into the promised land. And so, Corinthians, lest you be prideful and think that you're so good because you had a few religious experiences and that you were accomplished in some way, don't get so prideful that you forget that you can be destroyed as well. 
And we're going to run into that here just a little bit. Verse 6. Uh, if, you, if you don't know what we're doing, we are taking large chunks and going to kind of talk about them because we've got a lot to get through. So bear with us as we read large chunks and then talk about it. Verse 6. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyers. Now, we know that the Israelites constantly complained all the time. No matter what God was doing for them, all they could do was go, we want the meat that the Egyptians gave us, right? I don't understand this. When you have God's provision and all you can do is look back with rose-colored glasses at what you had because they completely forgot how the Egyptians were treating them in the first place. Yeah, there might have been meat, but you were beat. Yeah, there might have been, I don't know, vegetables of some sort. I don't know what they had, but they were treated horribly. And this is what happens to us, okay? This is what happens when we look at what the world has to offer and then go, man, I wish we could have some of that again, right? And it turns out that when we fall under temptation and try to go back, um, try to go back to eat some of that, that it's, it's not that great, right? And we forget some of the bad parts, right? Let's say I'm, I'm going off script. So let's take this for instance. I, I, I used to love, love Hot Pockets. I grew up with Hot Pockets, right? And Hot Pockets were amazing. It's like, I, look at this. It's a, a pocket of meat. How awesome is this? And so, uh, you know, as I grew up, I kind of got out of eating Hot Pockets. And then I have an amazing wife who knows how to cook. And it's almost offensive to ask her, hey, can I have some Hot Pockets? Right? You know, it's just like, I can make you an amazing meal. Why would you want Hot Pockets? So sometimes when she goes away, I'll be like, hey, you know what? Now's my chance. I can get some Hot Pockets. And so I, what do I do? I go back to what I remember. I buy some Hot Pockets. I throw it in the microwave. And then... I eat it. And then I go, this wasn't nearly as amazing as I remember it being. And then there are the consequences of eating Hot Pockets, right? I forgot about that. I, don't, I didn't remember that, but it's not pretty. And I was just like, I don't, uh, you know what? I, I should have looked forward to what my wife was making me instead of going back to Hot Pockets, right? So the Israelites were looking back, forgetting about all the consequences instead of focusing on their future, where God was taking them, and even how he was getting there. <sighs> That was a lot. So there's no secret that the Corinthians struggled with sexual immorality. Uh, they were immersed in a culture that made that okay. Does that sound familiar to anybody? I mean, sadly, we are immersed in a culture where sexual immorality is no longer frowned upon, but now we're going to see exactly how immoral we can be. And it sounds like it's, it's, it's just fine when we're called not to uh, practice this. Uh, they were destroyed by the destroyer because of the warning in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5. It seems that the Corinthians believed that they were safe from the danger of being destroyed as the Israelites were destroyed. 
because of past experiences uh, or accomplishments. But Paul warning stand, if it happened to Israel, it can happen to you. So be on guard. And that's still the warning for us today. Verse 11, now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, there is a little bit of a spectrum here. Here, at this church, we'd like to talk about spectrums, right? It's always like, oh, there's this way, this way. Temptation is also kind of a spectrum. And you can be on one side of the spectrum where it's like, you know what? I'm such a good Christian that temptation doesn't even affect me. We have a tendency, now I don't say we, but there is a tendency in some people to go, I'm never tempted. I'm immune because God's got me, right? And, you know, we can't think that because if, if we think that, will let our guard down, and essentially we will fall. And we're seeing it in the church leadership all across America. We're seeing uh, these high pastors falling. Why? Because maybe they just thought that they couldn't be affected by temptation, and they're falling because of that. Adam Clark, who is an 18th and 19th century British minister, said, the highest saint under heaven can stand no longer than he depends upon God and continues in the obedience of faith. He that ceases to do so will fall into sin and get a darkened understanding and a hardened heart. So if we are prideful, we tend to get a darkened understanding and our, hard, our hearts become hard. All right, so let's be on guard for that. Also, on the other side of the spectrum, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm tempted all the time, but nobody gets my temptation. Uh, my temptation is so, so crazy and, and, and weird that nobody, like, no, I'm a special case. Don't think that your temptation is unique. Because while we might be living in an increasingly uh, weird and strange times, all temptation starts small and then grows into weirdness, right? But God always makes a way out. He always makes a way out. Let's say, men, that we get to go on uh, I don't know, a business trip and it's an overnighter or something and then we have this hotel or something and there's a, there's a television in there and, uh, you know, there's, there's a common temptation to flip on that TV and then look for something that maybe we shouldn't be looking for. Maybe there's a paid channel that we can buy or something, right? Who's going to know, right? But that temptation, with, no matter how strong it is, what, what do we also find in a hotel room? We find many times that Gideon's will place a Bible right there. There is a way out. It's called pushing the power button and opening this drawer and having a Bible. See, here's the deal. God will always provide a way out. The trick here is that we have to be willing to take it. And that's where uh, we find people messing up because they're not willing to take the, take the route that says, I'm getting out. Now, also don't misunderstand because when God says that he provides a way out, it's not that he provides a way out of all temptation because there's no place on earth that we can escape all temptation. There's only one place that we can go to escape all temptation, and that place is heaven. What God does is provide a way of escape to a place where we may be able to bear it, okay? So 
there's a place that we can go to bear it. That temptation doesn't always leave and is gone. Uh, that temptation sometimes wants to creep back, but we can bear it because we've chosen the way out before and we can do it again. 14, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are, those, are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything, or what is offered to an idol is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of the demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Okay, so here, here's what we are doing. We're getting back into this whole meat uh, sacrifice to idols kind of thing. And Paul is reminding us that when we have our communion, and even when Jesus was, uh, was giving uh, at the Last Supper, he was giving of the bread, and he was breaking off that one loaf and, and kind of passing it around and saying, hey, this is my body. Uh, they, they were all eating of this one meal. And especially in that culture, they say if you ate of the same thing, that, that connected you in a very spiritual, very strong way. And, you know, it's not too far-fetched to say that we can even experience that today. That's why we have uh, dinners on Wednesday nights. That's why we have pitch-ins. It's so that we can all partake of this one meal and, and come together as one body. We are many people, but we are one body. And when we are doing this, we are, uh, and even at communion time, when we do it, it's a very reverent thing, uh, but we're doing it all as one body. And we're recognizing that this is our worship. This is, we're declaring that we are one body and that we are worshiping uh, the Lord who did this for us, right? Now, in the pagan culture, there, uh, there had, they had their temples. And yeah, there were, there were like meat markets where you can go and buy this meat uh, that were sacrificed to idols. But there were also these restaurants that one could go to, these uh, pagan-like restaurants. And you'd go there and you can eat meat. Now, some of these Corinthians thought that you could go there and just be fine uh, having dinner and sharing dinner with the other people who were actually uh, sacrificing meat and, and like participating in worship uh, to these idols and stuff. Now, the important thing that we have to understand when it comes to worshiping idols is, and you and I, we get this, right? We get that to worship an idol is essentially to worship nothing because idols are made of wood or gold or, or there's, there's nothing behind it. But here's the kicker. The kicker is there are demons who are waiting to accept the worship of nothing, Okay, so if you're, if you're going to say, I'm going to worship this golden cow, it means nothing except that there might be a demon who's there. <laughs> you know, I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that worship, you know, because here's the, because I think I said this on Sunday, last Sunday too, Satan wants us to do his will just as much as God wants us to do his, right? And so, so what happens is uh, demons are kind of waiting in the, in the sidelines here. And then when you start worshiping this idol, they're just, they'll feel free to take up the, that mantle and go, I'm being worshiped right now because, you know, demons just want to be worshiped. So, so inadvertently, these people who are thinking that they're worshiping a cow or worshiping something are actually worshiping demons. And uh, 
the people who are Christians at this time, if they go to these restaurants and partake in some of the meals and partake in some of the the parties and, and whatever that the pagans did, then they too would be joining themselves together as one body with these people who are worshiping essentially demons. So what Paul is trying to get them to understand is you cannot worship demons. You cannot join and, and in and be one with these people and be one with these people. It's oil and water. It doesn't mix up. You've got to choose one or the other. Now, if you wanted to, you could go and purchase some meat that might have been uh, sold in the market and might have been, uh, been sacrificed to idols and, and take it home because you understand that it's nothing. But when you start to do it with other people, then it becomes an issue. So if I go back to this idea of alcoholism and alcohol and, and the consumption of alcohol, it is perfectly fine for me if I wanted to go and, and buy like a bottle of wine and take it home and enjoy it, right? It is a completely different thing if I say, I'm going to go to the bar because there are things that happen at a bar that don't happen at home right? There are, there are activities that happen at a bar that doesn't happen at home. And I'm just making sure that I'm, if I go to a bar, I'm going to join in those activities as well. I don't want that, right? So what he's saying is, hey, buy your meat, take it home and eat it, but don't go to the restaurant and eat it because you're going you're gonna to open yourself up to all kinds of problems. So verse 23, Now, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. So I have the freedom to do whatever I want. I have the freedom to do whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. But whatever I want may not help me in my walk with the Lord, and it may cause others to stumble as well. So uh, God's been really working in my heart for the past I don't know, week or two now, uh, just about uh, one of my addictions. And one of my addictions is, is entertainment, right? And that comes in so many different forms, right? Uh, one of the ways that I really love, because I, I love to entertain other people, but I love to entertain myself, right? This is, this is, what I, this is the guy. I want to entertain myself. And how do I do that? You know what? If I like you, I'm just going to push your buttons a little bit because it's fun. Maybe I'll tease you. Maybe I'll give you a hard time. And then always justify it. And we've all, done, we've, we've all heard this, I'm sure, is by like, you know what? I wouldn't give you a hard time if I didn't like you. <laughs> so I'm going to call you bald, baldy, <laughs> right? It's like, that's not edifying. That's not, you know, uh, hey, I can't even think of a good one right now because I don't know. I don't know. I can't think of a good one. So, so like, so God's really been working with me though about not not entertaining myself by teasing other people, right? It is lawful for me to do so. I can do it if I want to, but it's not edifying and it's not helping somebody else. So rather than teasing somebody and and poking fun just to entertain myself, uh, the better thing to do is to uh, build other people up, right? Build them up and encourage them in the Lord. So that's what's what's going on in my life right now. (laughs) 25. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. And if any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience' sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience' sake, for the earth 
For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken for for the food which I give thanks? So, a quote, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. Now, first time he says this, he's referring to the meat, right? Uh, hey, if you want to go uh, and have some meat, if a believer is, is uh, inviting, if a non-believer is inviting you over for some meat, don't ask them where it came from. There's no point in that because uh, it doesn't matter, right? Because once again, we have that idea that sacrificing to idols is really nothing. So we don't need to ask where, where it is or what it come from. We're not, set, we're not uh, joining in any kind of uh, rituals by just having a meal, right? Because we also know that the cow, while it was still on the hoof, is the Lord's and it is good. But even when it's on the barbecue, it's still the Lord's and it might be even better, right? So we, we're not going to ask questions. However, there are some people who will, who will go, hey, listen, I want to give you this meat, but uh, just to let you know, just it was sacrificed to the idol, okay? Well, here's the deal. I like steak, but I, I like potato salad and macaroni too. So we'll just go ahead and eat those and we can leave that steak alone. Because the reason that they're telling you that this meat has been sacrificed is because they think that you might think it's wrong to eat it. So they just want to warn you. And it's like, hey, it's cool. And you know what? Uh, I'm not going to I'm not gonna let you feel like uncomfortable. Like I'm not going to leave here and have you go, oh, maybe I made him stumble. Maybe I made him uh, do, do something that he shouldn't have done. And it's like, I'm not causing any of that. We're just going to be cool and chill about this. We're going to have some side items because I like side items, right? So the, the point is uh, that person's conscience is more important than your right, right? Even if they're a non-believer, we're still looking to, uh, we're still looking to edify and encourage other people. 31, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. So as we come to understand our own freedom in Christ, it's important to learn to set aside those freedoms uh, when need be, just in order to not offend. And we can do this for young believers. We don't need to offend young believers. We don't need to offend non-believers. And in doing so, we also don't offend the church. That's essentially what he's saying. Okay, so chapter 10. That wraps that up. Now we're going to go to chapter 11. Chapter 11 is one of those that when I first read this, I kind of went, you know, if Nate, if Nate was doing this right now, this is when we'd start seeing Nate do this little number where he rocks back and forth and starts moving because it might be a little bit uncomfortable to talk about some of these things, you know, uh, especially for a guy like, for a guy like Nate. Um, and, I, and I love the guy, but it's fun to watch him when he's just a little bit uncomfortable, right? And this, this chapter could make somebody uncomfortable. It's the first part of it. The second part of it's pretty awesome. You know, it's just all, it's communion stuff. But, you know, we're going to start talking about authority and headship and, you know, uh, that, that always gets a little bit, um, you got to walk that line pretty, pretty uh, delicately. So uh, we're going we're gonna to try to jump into this and hopefully I won't say anything too stupid. So verse one, 
imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now, just like he told Timothy to, hey, do as I say and do what I do, and we talked about how uh, it's okay to uh, mimic other ministers and stuff because essentially what Paul is doing is imitating Christ. So he's encouraging the Corinthians not necessarily to imitate Paul because Paul's really nobody to imitate, but Paul imitating Christ, now that's somebody. And so ultimately, we are all going to be imitating Christ too. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, here's where we have to, uh, we have to really define this. Uh, understand that authority does not mean superiority, Okay, so uh, I think I, I recall Scott saying saying something like this, but uh, God and Jesus are both God. One is not over the other. One's not better than the other. They're both God. We have God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. They're all God. They're all on an equal playing field. However, Jesus showed that he was under God the Father's authority. A few times, and we can even we see this when he said, "But Father, not my will be done, but thine, right? Your will be done." He is God, but he is still falling under authority at this time. So, so keep that in mind when we talk about headship and authority of men over uh, women. We are not saying that men are better than women. We're not saying that women are better than men. What we are saying is that God has got a, an authority structure in place for a, a very, uh, for a very good reason. And we might not understand it completely, but we know that it's there. Uh, the headship just means having appropriate responsibility to lead and the matching accountability as well. So men are not superior to women. We're all on equal playing field. There's just an authority structure. So every man, verse four, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophecies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved. Let her be covered. For a man indeed ought, to know, ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, given what we've learned about headship, the head covering has a significant meaning, particularly in this culture. A head covering is a sign of authority. Therefore, since God designed men to have authority, to be an authority figure, 
if men were to say, uh, I'm going to cover my head because, uh, you know, that's, uh, even though I'm the authority, it's, it's dishonoring to God because God has placed the, the man in authority, okay? It's dishonoring because this, the man's in authority. Uh, and you're, by wearing a head covering, you're kind of telling God, I think I know more than you, okay? I, I don't deserve to be here in authority, okay? Uh, this, is that, this is that culture. However, um, if a woman who, mind you, it says if a woman prays or prophecies, so we're not saying that women cannot pray or prophesy, right? Matter of fact, it's encouraged. He's saying, but if a woman, uh, if a woman does this without her head being covered, because that head covering is a sign of being, uh, uh, is a sign of authority and being under authority would be the covering for the woman, right? Uh, if she does not wear that, she is also going to be dishonoring God, also telling God, I think I know more than you. I should be an authority uh, in this because, you know, you, have you met my husband? Really? That guy? No, 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 no. I should be under authority, right? That's, that's essentially what we're telling God, even though that is way against what God has in store, has in plan. Uh, the men should have a which is why, mind you, that God has allowed women to grow beautiful, long hair. This is kind of like God saying, hey, listen, I'm going to provide you with a covering, okay? And this is why her hair, we say, uh, we've said this, this is glory. I also tend to think, this is not scriptural, but, um, but I also kind of, as I was thinking about, oh, this is why one reason God might give women nice long hairs for a covering, uh, I also kind of go, well, if men's heads uh, are not supposed to be covered, then maybe that's why we go bald, <laughs> I just it's like it makes sense to me. Our heads aren't supposed to be covered. We're not, we're not, uh, we don't have that, uh, the authority. So maybe it's just like, no, 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 you, you're not supposed to be covered. You're going bald. And so if I ever go bald, and my wife is telling me that I'm starting to thin up here, uh, I might just take pride in my baldness and uh, shave the entire thing. That's... That's me, though. Uh, God, God places us uh, within a structure for a purpose. He knows what he's doing. Now, I was encouraged last week, um, last week on Sunday. I, I have a tendency to say things up here that um, are a little bit self-deprecating, okay? And I say, you know what? I am a fool to be up here. Uh, it's, I don't even know why I'm up here, right? I, it's just like, this is not... I don't feel qualified, and, and we hear a lot of people use that word, uh, I don't feel qualified. But somebody said, listen, you're dishonoring God when you're up here saying um, you're a fool and you're, and you're not qualified because God has put you in this place for a purpose, okay? So I, it really made me reexamine myself. It's like, okay, so uh, maybe, I, I, maybe I don't feel qualified to be up here, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't think I'm qualified to be up here. So take, take a hold of that and, and be bold in what you're doing because, because God's got you here for a purpose. So I would encourage us, you know, this is a little bit off the head covering thing, but I would encourage us because so many of us feel like that we're just not qualified to share the word of God. Like, I, you know, I, I don't know the addresses. Uh, sometimes I botch, uh, I botch a, a scripture line or something, but here's the deal. God knows exactly where you are. God knows exactly who you touch and, and who you uh, inspire. And God has 
a circle of influence for every single person, and he qualifies each and every one of us for that circle of influence. If we decide that we want to be disobedient and say, I'm not going to share the Word of God, or I'm not going to share God's heart with anybody uh, because I just don't feel qualified, we're dishonoring God. We're dishonoring God. We don't want to dishonor God. So, so uh, I will pass on the encouragement that was uh, given to me about not dishonoring God because God is God who knows what he's doing. Now, here's an interesting thing. Uh, this very, the very last uh, line of that last section, because of the angels. Because of the angels reminds us that in everything that we do, there is an audience of angels watching. All right? They rejoice when we come to know the Lord. They are in awe to watch the grace of God work in our lives. And some people would even argue that the angels may become offended when we dishonor God. All right? So let us remember that, you know, that I, you know that's just a curious line to end that on, because of the angels. Uh, angels are watching us, and they're, they're, I, think, I think that they learn uh, God's grace through watching how he works with us. Uh, and they're just in awe of it. It's wonderful. Uh, verse 11, nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as a woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman, but all things are from God. Now here's a novel concept. Women need men, and men need women. Who, uh, who would have thought better? <laughs> I wouldn't have. Michael Poole writes, But on the other side, since the creation of the first man, all men are by the woman, who conceives them in her womb, suckles them at her breast, is concerned in their education while children, and dandled upon her knees. The man, therefore, hath no reason to despise and too much to trample upon the woman. Men... And I would speak this to myself. Sometimes we have a tendency to think that we can do this on our own. That whatever comes our way, we got this. All right? It's trampling to our wives. It's trampling onto women. And we should uh, admire them for the people that God has made them to be and to be our help. And Alan Redpath wrote... A man who can only rule by stamping his foot had better remain single. But a man who knows how to govern his house by the love of the Lord through sacrificial submission to the Lord is the man who is going to make a perfect husband. The woman who cannot submit to an authority like that had better remain single. Both men and women are children of God. We are all from him. Again, I'm going to stress, one is not better than the other. We're all children of God. 13, judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her. For her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no custom, nor do the churches of God. 
Essentially, he's saying, look, Corinthians, you should be able to figure this out for yourselves. Dudes with long hair with long hair appear more feminine and are generally dishonored in our culture. If a woman has long hair, it's as if God said, here's your covering. But really, essentially, we don't really recognize this custom. And as we've progressed, uh, even in this church, we see men with long hair. Um, and I'm kind of wondering if Nate read this already and was like, oh, am I dishonoring? But uh, we, don't, we, we don't chastise men for having long hair. And our culture doesn't uh, anymore. It used to be a big thing. It's like, go get your hair cut, men. And, you know, and women, don't go get your hair cut. You know? But we don't have this culture. And even, even Paul is saying, uh, we don't have this uh, custom, nor do the churches of God. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Uh, first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized uh, among you. Now, usually it's good for God's people to, to uh, gather together. This is a good thing. We're called to do it. It says we do not forsake the gathering together of God's people, because we are called to edify and support one another. With the Corinthian church, however... Uh, they could come together, but they still kind of split up themselves. The, the rich stayed with the rich. The poor stayed with the poor. There was no uh, community, uh, cross-community from you know, the classes. And in, in that culture, that was a huge thing. The class uh, societal things were you know, uh, a, a huge. And so we're not going to uh, talk to those poor people. And the poor people are like, I can't even talk to those people. And sadly, uh, we may not recognize it so much today in our church as far as being classes, but we do tend to click up. Uh, we, we tend to stay with those people that think like we do, who do the things that we do, and, and, and then we don't want to talk to that weirdo over in the corner. But that weirdo is who God is calling us to talk to anyway, because that weirdo deserves to be in community just as well as anybody else. So he's saying, he's saying that uh, it, while it's good to come together, you guys are still dishonoring because you're not actually coming together. You're coming together in your little groups, but it, it's not good. Uh, but however, I, I tell you what, uh, God will even use these little divisions uh, to let us know who actually has a heart for the Lord right? And that's why he says that these factions are good, because now we can kind of distinguish who's here for the right reasons, and, and how, can we, how can those people serve everyone else? Um, 20, therefore, when you come together in one place, it's not to eat the Lord's, is it not to eat the Lord's supper? For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry, and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? No, I do not praise you. Now, there are two types of meals that we share together. We've already talked about it. We have one that is the communion meal. This is the, this is the meal that we uh, are really reverent in, and there's a lot of dignity in this. And then there's uh, the shared meal. He calls it the shared meal. This is, this is our pitch-ins, right? This is, this is our... Um, I, there's other words that they put potlucks, potlucks and pitch-ins. And, 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 you know, that's where uh, we really get to see the talents of some of you 
you guys, right, who can really cook well, right? Uh, and, and in both cases, we come together as one, right? One has a little bit more reverence. The other one is just bringing us together as a body. Now, in the, in the Corinthian culture, um, these, these kind of meals, the shared meals, uh, often looked like parties, like, like uh, fraternity parties. There was no dignity at all. And even though the Corinthian church was trying, you know, they, they, they were trying to do things, the, the, the pagan church, uh, their customs kind of creeped in. And so they started to look a little bit more like a pagan, uh, like a pagan gathering. And so he's saying, hey, we're, we're set apart from that, right? And if you have a pitch in, or if you guys are kind of coming in, and, and then you guys, uh, like the rich just decides that they're going to eat first uh, before the poor get, and the poor are just hungry because the rich has already eaten all the food, uh, you know, the this is not the way to be, right? This isn't the way to be. We don't, we don't want to uh, bring our food and eat it. I mean, if you're hungry, then have, have, a, have a Big Mac on your way into church so you're not as hungry when you come in here, right? Eat something before you get here. That way, when you come together, you can come together as one. You can be one body who is sharing one because guess what? It's not about the eating. It's about the community, right? And so we don't want our poor people to feel left out because the rich people are eating up all the food. Uh, That's not how you form community here. Um, Okay, let's move on. 23, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he come. Now this meal that they were sharing was taken during the Passover meal that Jewish people would celebrate to remember their exodus from Egypt. Now, Jesus was calling people to remember this new covenant, uh, just like the Israelites were to remember how God brought them out of Egypt. We are now to remember how Jesus saves us through his broken body through his shed blood. Uh, The Passover meal at one time meant one thing, and then because of Jesus, it means something completely different. Maybe not completely different. It causes us to remember Jesus, and and that's what we're always to do is to point to him. Uh, Therefore, Whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Do this with the right heart. No one can make themselves worthy to receive. But we can all have reverence for the act taking place, remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. The Corinthians came from a culture where religious services looked, like I said, more like a fraternity party. So for this act of discipline, Paul was reminding them to be reverent. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. 
For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. So when we examine our faults, when we examine ourselves, and we find our faults, if we were to judge ourselves or repent, there would be no need for God to discipline us. There would be no need for God to discipline. Many of the Corinthians were finding themselves getting sick because God had to discipline them. Uh, if we don't discipline ourselves, then God needs to. So uh, I'll be honest with you. I don't quite understand getting sick. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say there are repercussions to all of our actions, right? And if the Corinthians are partying like college people, chances are they're going to wake up sick and they're going to wake up weak. And this is a discipline. Now, if they had examined themselves, themselves before and said, we need to be reverent, chances are they're going to wake up not feeling quite as sick, not feeling quite as weak, okay? Uh, so we sh- it's a good practice for us to discipline ourselves in all things so we can learn and grow and not be condemned with the rest of the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. Here's this continuing theme of be respectful to one another. When we wait to eat, we show others that we care about them as well as ourselves. So, again, if you're hungry, grab something out the house and then come and let's eat as one body. And then this last line, he says, the, the rest I will set in order when I come. Um, I'll admit that I have raced through these two chapters there's so much to dig into in here. And I, I understand why Nate always has this like preface of like, look, this is just the supplement. This is just a vitamin. Uh, if you really, you really should get into this and dig into this uh, line by line because it is chock full of, of goodness to eat. And here he says, the rest I will set in order when I come. With all that meat that is in these chapters, and there's still more that Paul's going uh, we to... Don't, we don't know what he told them in person. Uh, but man, it, yeah, I'll bet it was amazing. Because these, uh, these chapters, this book is an amazing book in itself. So as we leave here tonight, uh, let us remember just to seek out those ways that we can care for one another. Uh, lay aside our own temptations. Lay aside our own... Uh, desires. Lay aside our own rights for the sake of one another, for the sake of edifying, for the sake of building up one another. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, even your guidance here tonight. And uh, God, I just ask as we leave that the words uh, that are read would sink deep into our hearts. God, that you would speak to us and that you would... uh, that you would continue to mold us to be the people that you are calling us to be so that we can show others your love. 
we can show others who you are. God, we thank you for this. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.